Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You are listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction Blog Talk Radio Show, founded to increase the national awareness of black women in the construction industry. NABWIC is the charge and takes the charge for black women to advocate for further opportunities to its members. Our mission as a core foundation is to strengthen the building blocks of new educational, entrepreneurial, professional, and social network connections. The vision of NABWIC is to build long-lasting strategic partnerships with first-rate organizations and individuals that will provide groundbreaking and innovative solutions for black women in construction and their respective communities. We invite you to call or text or email family, business associates, or friends and tell them that we are on the air right now. Or they can join us on the Internet by logging in to www.blogtalkradio.com slash N-A-B-W-I-C or by phone at 714-459-3918 and press 1 to join our conversation with questions or comments. Good morning. Welcome to NABWIC Talks, and this is your host, Ursula Odom. I am the owner of Sula 2, and we make old, new, and everything we do. In that, we will capture, preserve, and present your legacy information in any form necessary, meaning that we will help you write your book, and we start from where you are. If you're just starting, we'll help you there to putting together videos, or being on a radio show like this one where you get to tell your story. And that's what you're going to hear today. We, you're going to hear from a wonderful person, Ms. Kimley Naylor. And Kimley is the owner of several companies, including Nail Wright Construction. And she's the president of National Association of Black Women in Construction. But I'm going to let you hear from her exactly what her professional career has been up to this point. So good morning, Kimley. Good morning, Ursula. How are you? I'm wonderful. Excited about hearing your story. So I won't delay. Would you tell us who you are and what you do? Well, again, thanks for having me on the show this morning. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, welcome 2019. Um, my career has taken a couple of twists and turns. Um, I began my career in marketing and business uh, analysis, doing research for firms, and have worked for, you know, several large Fortune 500, so a lot of work and time at J.D. Power and Associates, studying industry-wide markets and trends, Um, and that led me into just some personal business, which was some real estate investing, having Coming to the workforce in the 80s when things were downsizing, right-sizing, people can't even imagine. They want to talk about 2008 as the Great Recession, but they all forget about the 80s when, you know, it was even challenging just to work a continuous year or so. And in my 30 years of working, I've never been employed uh, three consecutive years due to layoffs, downsizing, absorptions by other companies, whatever. So that led me into real estate investing, finding a way to secure my future and build for tomorrow. And I spent the last 20 years uh, in real estate investing and, and building a portfolio so I can always have stability. So that then introduced me to the world of construction. And um, then I had the privilege of starting a company 
Uh, my family had a lot of skills in the trees. They worked in the construction industry. And so we started this company. It was a little bit slow getting off the ground when we decided to, you know, jumpstart it. We had the 2008 recession. And so we just jumped back in a couple of years ago. And um, I'm glad to say the company has uh, been growing. And we've had um, some amazing growth this past year, 2018. Um, and so I'm pretty excited about uh, where my career is taking me. Now I help in the construction space, and I look forward to working with investors and commercial places spaces to just keep rebuilding Detroit where I'm, I live right now and there's a lot of revitalization going on so I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that, that narrative and I'll put a new spin on it where we're helping Detroit residents gain the skills and, and learn how to uh, benefit from this emerging market. Thank you. Now for my listening audience there is something in her bio that I must read because I think it will give us a clue as to who she is on a personal level that leads to what she does professionally. And it says, born in the 60s with dark, oh, let me read it right, born in the 1960s when dark skin infringed limitations. She has triumphantly defied the odds and redefined her future at the age of 36 years obtaining her bachelor's degree in business and serving as an analyst working for Fortune 500 companies. She transformed her mental capacity to find her inner beauty that created new worlds of limitless possibilities as a licensed builder, real estate investor, and serial entrepreneur. Now, the reason that I read that is that speaks volumes to me. Bold, beautiful, and about it all. <laughs> so I am I am thrilled with, with the fact that that speaks of self confidence and being able to make things happen. And when I when I hear that kind of um positioning both per- personally and professionally, I then want to know where did it come from? Now you said something about your parents being in the in the industry which says that you had access very early on, and I think we we pass on whoever we are and whatever we do to our children, and they make decisions based on what they see, if it's good or bad. So to be who you are, how did you get there as far as your early days, your your family life, what positioned you, who were your role models? So that's a question I'm asked often, and it's kind of like, you know, what we do when we're interviewing. Who was that influencer in your life? And I have to say honestly, uh, my mother was very to my uh, development. But at the same time, it was also the source of a hurdle in my life because it was my mother, out of her motherly love of trying to make a space for me in this world, and I'm one of her only daughters with dark skin, she did everything to make me feel good about it, but that always just, exaggerated the fact that I'm different. So I didn't get the message that she wanted me to feel confident and you're okay, just don't wear those colors because you're too dark. What transferred to my understanding was what I could not do because of my skin. And so that became this whole narrative of what I can't do, and it just started this whole low value of myself. But it was also my mother who was the creative one. She did the renovations in her home. We had a large family and was um, living in a two-family flat. And she and my dad together 
actually converted that two-family flat, you know, demolishing walls, removing kitchens, making bedrooms, and converted that into a single-family home. So I saw the construction happening in my home. It was a necessity just so that we had enough space in our home and opening walls so that we can have enough room for this family. I have nine siblings. So you have to remember in the 60s, housing was not easy to come by for families, um, specifically black families, and definitely it was challenging for large black families to find space big enough that someone wanted to rent to you. And so um, that allowed me to start seeing what construction can do, and that's where the rehab and renovation first was messaged to me from my parents. I remember my mom remodeled the bathroom, and um, I'm not even sure where we bought materials then because there was no Home Depot back in that time, but I guess there were building supplies, and I remember she remodeled the bathroom, and um, it was just a beautiful product, and I was like, I always like to see the before and afters. Um, and so that kind of what is what exposed me to the construction space. And then later, one of my brothers became a drywall finishers when he lived out of state in Minnesota. And when he returned to Detroit, he taught some of my siblings the skills so they can find employment. And, and so I just saw it happening all the time where construction was an avenue where you could make a decent income. Now, remember, I am in the city of Detroit, so the automotive industry kind of trumped all occupations. Everybody wanted to get into the plant. So we came up through the trades, which was really unique at that time. So I was very glad to see that that um, opportunity happen for me because it has shaped what I had access to. After I became more grounded as an individual, I knew I had new outlets that I could pursue. Oh, you just spoke to a number of things that I can, that resonate with me. And not to dwell on this too much, but when you talked about dark skin, it reminded me that I actually remember the first time that I saw a really, really, really dark young lady. And I was in college, believe it or not, and she I remember she opened her eyes, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I don't even remember this girl's name, but my self-esteem took a major jump because I personally saw her as beautiful, and and that meant a lot. And I've never spoken those words to anybody before, but now the world knows. <laughs> but, well, you know, that's critical, who we are as a person. It determines where we'll go in life. And um, I've committed a lot of time. I could say the first 36 years of my journey was in the shadows. And so when I had some of those breakdown moments in life that forced us to come to grips with ourselves, with those life experiences, one of my lessons was I will find my own worth. I will then define who I am as a woman, a black woman, a dark-skinned black woman. And um, it just changed the tide for me. And you're talking about a world, as I stated, of limitless possibilities emerged as a result of owning that inner self, um, it's why I teach um, that all the time. And I'm, I'm always empowering women to know your worth and your value, even in business. Your business in your career or as an entrepreneur or business owner, it's only going to grow to the level of what you have in your self-worth and image. And there's so much uh, work has to be done there in communication so people can understand the correlations to grow your value, your net worth, grow your self-worth. Okay, so this is an organization of women in construction, and we're talking about um, 
self-esteem and your worth. So I'm going to take it one little step further in that when you mentioned that your mother remodeled the bathroom, what came to mind, because young girls deal with this, I would imagine, when, when they're trying to maintain femininity and all of that, um, how did she navigate being capable and being feminine? Well, my mother, her name is, was Dolores. It's still Dolores. I think my mother's, my late mother's Dolores. But my mother was a diva, okay? She was a bling-bling diva. And um, she was as feminine as they come. Uh, she was a glam fam woman, and she loved dressing up. I love that about my mother because she instilled that in all six of her daughters. We are some dressing ladies. And my mother, we would laugh because she would be out in the yard. She was the landscape of the yard, digging in the ground, planting trees. And you might see her 20 minutes later. You was like, is that the same lady that we just met? <laughs> um, so she kept the femininity. She was truly a virtuous woman when you think of Proverbs. She did her mergers, She did her family. She did her work. And she still was a woman. And that is a value that I love and appreciate about. Uh, a gift that I received from her. I can make a transformation like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you would never know that a few hours ago there was paint on my hands or drywall in my hair. But uh, here I am, this beautiful, and that's all they see. <laughs> and I, and, and well I love balanced. that, too. I love that because I'm, I'm a country girl and grew up in the backwoods of Georgia and uh, uh, still have a hard time keeping shoes on my feet, right? Uh, you and me both. But, <laughs> so, you know, when I went into the corporate world and had to put on these suits, I I hated casual Friday, right? But when I came home, it was like comfort city. And that transformation it, it and being able to do that feels good to me. You know, you can you can relax and then you can step it up as well. So um, I get it. I totally get it. And um, what I like about what you said about your mother is it gives young girls the license to be all they can be, from the diva to the construction person, and they're one and the same because it's a complete person. And the completeness is you're doing what you want to do in life, whatever that happens to be. So with that being and said, I'd like, like to say that uh-huh. I was just going to uh, no, chime in and say those are the we have various attributes of ourselves, and we need to get comfortable sharing all of our attributes with the world. And we're never uh, confined to just be one aspect of ourselves. Let the world taste your flavor. As a woman, we have that wonderful gift of sharing various aspects or attributes of who we are with the world. Absolutely. So we're going to take a commercial break, and then when we come back, I want you to tell us about your NAVWIC experience. Absolutely. 
We are so excited to have you listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction blog talk radio show. Please call, text, or email family, business associates, or friends and tell them that we are on the air right now. Or they can join us on the internet by logging in to www.blogtalkradio.com slash NABWIC or by phone at 714-459-3918 and press 1 to join our conversation with questions or comments. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to follow us by liking our page and post your questions or comments. NABWIC's intent is to always go into the high schools and colleges to encourage our young black girls and women to enter into the construction industry and to take interest into the STEM programs that are offered. We encourage you to listen to this show or past shows on the internet by logging in at www.blogtalkradio.com slash N-A-B-W-I-C. Thank you, and we're back. Welcome back to NABWIC Talks. This is Ursula Odom, your host, and I'm speaking with Kimberly Naylor, who is the owner of Nailwright Construction, and she's the president of National Association of Black Women in Construction. Before the break, we were talking about a number of things that build who she is, who built, I mean, that built who she is. And at this point, she is the president of NABWIC, and I want to know about that experience. How did you get introduced to NABWIC, and what have you done, and why are you president? Why do you want this role? Well, that's a lot of good questions, all combined in one. Um, as I stated, my family was in the trades, and one of my sisters, I'm not even sure how it happened, uh, she was sharing with me that there was going to be this meeting um, in Detroit, and they were looking for uh, women in construction to come out to this meeting, she wanted to go. Now, my sister's actually a drywall finisher, and she works in the trade. That's her occupation. Um, at this time, I've been dibbling and dabbling more with some of my real estate investment with construction, but not in the industry uh, directly. So we went to hear uh, this to this meeting, of course, Ann McNeil, the founder of NAVIC, was the speaker. And this was December 2015. And she began to share about this industry and the opportunities and what's missing as far as presence for women, specifically black women, and the opportunities that this industry holds, and uh, that we should come to their annual meeting in Atlanta to really see what these women are doing. And uh, my sister was like, I'm going, Kim, are you going? I'm like, uh, I guess so. If you're going, I'm going. And so I was kind of like a tag-along. <laughs> and when I got there to Atlanta, January 2016, I was just blown away. I was just so intrigued about the amount of support that was being poured into this organization, the National Association of Black Women in Construction, um, the amount of support this organization was providing its members by setting them right at the feet of these great decision makers about work that was happening in the Atlanta area and, and other projects that were in the pipeline. And that was something I wanted to be a part of because it was clear to me that I had only been, you know, skimming the surface. But there was a whole depth that could make not only an impact for our businesses, but for this whole black community and this wealth transfer that's necessary to have solid economically communities. And so I was like, oh, I'm a part of this, and I became a member right at that event. And so throughout 2016 and 17, I was learning, and uh, I wrapped up my business. I, I got all my 
documents in order and certifications and this is the direction I'm going. And of course, it's a membership-led organization. So being that I was in the business sector as a business analyst, I work with firms like Ford, Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world. Um, like I said, a lot of work at uh, J.D. Power and Associates where you study industries. And I begin to say, okay, how can I help this organization? Because it is promoting black women in construction, a space where we can hire our black daughters, educate them, and see what's next in the next generation in this space. And I just jumped in with two feet. Uh, seriously speaking, I was leading the operations committee uh, as a volunteer role and was bringing in some different operations systems, streamlining how we can be this efficient, fine-tuned machine so as we experience rapid growth, we would be prepared for managing it because I'm on a mission to make sure we are as large as many organizations that you see in the nation that's you know, industry-specific. And I was running into more and more black women that were either working in the trade um, as either the workers on the front line or in the offices. And they were like, what? There's an organization just for black women? And I started doing a lot of research and uh, found organizations across the nation that was helping empower black women in the construction because of the economic stability it brings us for our families, and what we can then bring to our communities. And that was my driving force, and it's still my driving force because our mission says we prepare the next generation, we empower women, and we also open a platform for making sure that we can have our businesses growing. And it's just been an exciting journey, and it's only been this one year that I've served in this role. And this first year, it's an inaugural year. There was a lot of learning. There was a lot of um finding out, you know, the true ins and outs of how we're operating, what makes the organization run, and, you know, the lessons you have to learn. But it's been a great journey, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm super excited for 2019, uh, what we have in the works. We've made a lot of investments in setting up our infrastructure, and so now we're looking forward to really do a lot of campaigns for membership growth and uh, putting NABLIC on the map in a bigger a bigger role than we have, bringing in a lot of uh, connections with our various municipalities at state, local, and, of course, on the federal, and uh, bringing that narrative to make sure we're funding training, education, so we have more African-Americans, specifically black women, in the trades, one of the most lucrative industries that you can easily transition into entrepreneurship from and also make a, a, a major, major impact in your home life, in your families, and in your communities. Okay, so <laughs> that was a mouthful. So here's what it I'm going to do. I want to break it. <laughs> and so many wonderful things were you, you said that I'd like to break it down into a what about me. If I am a person that is not traditionally in construction, is this organization for me? Absolutely, and I'll tell you why. We have some members who are financial planners, HR, construction-related services. This organization is an advocacy. We are the voice of black women in this trade. The more this organization grows in the advocacy and awareness that we're building and the businesses of its members are growing, you have a firsthand opportunity to do a lot of work business-to-business -business with these organizations as they're 
business needs change, you can support them with some of your construction-related services or just business services. As a black woman, you can help be a part of that voice for black women in our advocacy role. There's a lot of legislative and political layers that go into construction and construction and development projects. You know something in your neighborhood that can be developed. You can become a voice for bringing the teams into your community and making a difference in what your community looks like. That's all construction. We talk about gentrification across the nation in a lot of the Rust Belt cities that were formerly highly high density around automotive. And now they're desolation in commercial structures, residential structures. As black women, as members of this organization, you can spearhead that development and restoration and wealth transfer of the ownership of all those assets. And so I welcome everyone. You don't have to be a person that's slinging the tools or managing a construction firm now. You see the value that this construction industry can impact in your community. You can spearhead that. Okay. So what if I'm a man? Does that mean I can't join? We have male members, and you're welcome to join us, brothers. This is a sisterhood that welcomes the brotherhood. We are not naive to the fact that as black women, opportunities may exist for us more easily than our black brothers. However, we are the way makers. We're the Harriet Tubman's in search of the truth. We are opening the pathway so more brothers have opportunities to secure contracts and to build your businesses as well. So you definitely are welcome in this community, um, and we need your, your expertise in this community. So definitely men are welcome. Uh, we have several men in our area here in Detroit, so uh, we definitely um, invite them. Okay, so you've heard it. You can join too. Now, when you mentioned Detroit, I I have to say I saw something. I'm switching gears. I I saw something on YouTube or maybe it was a movie or some special where they showed where. Um, at one point, nature was reclaiming the city, and I don't know if it was Detroit or somewhere else, but um, when I think of the auto, auto industry and, and how there was a decline, and now you're basically speaking to the opportunities that that present, um, tell me about what that brings to mind for you in terms of what you saw the landscape do and what opportunities presented itself and what it did to communities as well. Okay. So I like to tell a more candid story for Detroit. A lot of people like to think that Detroit and the blight that happened was a result of the recession from 10 years ago in 2013. That was like an extra layer. The blight that Detroit has experienced is the 50-year decimation that happened because of the white flight. Many suburban communities that did not exist, that are fluent and well populated, are the result of the minus of population in Detroit. The declining population that we're only, I think it was 600, maybe 700,000 in the last census uh, 10 years ago, that decline did not happen because of 2008. 
in 2010, we only had, um, you know, 200, less than 100, less than a million people in our community. So now we say nature has reclaimed it. Yeah, 50 years, nature will reclaim a city. And so we have a lot of abandoned land, properties, and there was some, uh, what 2008 did was a lot of the properties that were recently vacated, they were vandalized in record numbers because it was such a difficult time that they were stripping copper, they were stripping uh, anything out of a house, wire lines, anything you could strip from a house, they were stripping and selling. So there was a lot of blight created out of the recently vacated homes from 2008 through 2012. That was extra devastation. But a lot that you see when they were showing the movies of houses that was the houses that were vacated from the 60s. And so wow. being a media person um, working in advertising firms, I understand messaging is to convey uh, a market. So Detroit marketed the blight, the doom, the gloom. It was a move to devalue property. Um, and everything was like it's bad, 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 nobody wants it. So you can negotiate. Well, nobody wants it. I'll take anything that anyone asks. So it was a chance for people to come in and buy a lot of property dirt cheap. And now they're pushing the appraised value of that, and that's where the big boom is coming. So I like to tell the story as it should be told. There was a lot of white flight in a lot of neglected parts of Detroit. Many of those areas are looking the same way. Don't get excited about the Woodward Corridor, which is the street that runs through our downtown north and south, and all the immediate surrounding areas around the stadiums. All of that is in a probably a 2.5 square mile. It's all right together, one corridor. The rest of the city is in dire need of support. We still have neighborhoods that are in need of being rebuilt. We still have a lot of abandoned properties that no one has any interest in going into those communities because of the density of low-income residents, black residents, and no one has uh, value on the architectural design of those properties. So what's happening in Detroit is a land grab based on the prime architectural uh, properties that have the most likelihood to push the praise value and create some wealth. So we're encouraging Detroiters to get involved with that as well. And that's why we have this whole um, conversation of saying you don't have to be in construction right now today, but there's a lot of cities like Detroit that you could be a part of bringing construction teams and bringing development projects to your neighborhoods, to your city councils, to your county residents, so that you can start some redevelopment that you're spearheading from a grassroots level and layering up and bringing new opportunities for job creation in this construction space. Okay. This also brings to mind now, I'm I'm realizing I'm in a, a teachable moment here, possibly, in another northern city where um, someone passed away and the children inherited one property and they did not do well by it. It fell into disrepair and uh, I think some tax situations may have happened, but whatever it was, um, just hearing about the story, I went to look at the location of the property on Google Earth or something like that. 
and on Google. I don't know which one it was, but I, I, I searched and found the property. But what I noticed was all around that property was something that indicated that it was bank-owned, 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 almost like this particular property was in an island of non-ownership. And then I realized that it was also in relative close proximity to the water. And on another side, there was an affluent area. And I I wondered, and especially based on something you said too, if this was a mass or master plan to squeeze all of those people out completely and then mow it all down. And I, this is just conjecture. I have no idea, but knowing that you have a broad knowledge of of the industry, is that a far-fetched thought? No, it is not. It is not at all. It was fabricated. Uh, we have been banking in America for hundreds of thousands of years. Banking has been a part of the fiber of America. And banking has always had underwriting guidelines, and we know what makes for sustainable loans and what do not. All of a sudden, there's a concentration. They called it predatory lending because they brought this portfolio of properties that would destroy people's ability to sustain and support the mortgage. And they preyed upon certain communities, certain regions, certain territories, so that those people were set up for failure. And then there was a massive decline in, um, I'm sorry, a massive increase in those people's ability to repay the loans, which then made a lot of homes go into the whole foreclosure atrocity that we all read about. And then they came and grabbed those up. Banks were already insured. Another factor, people didn't understand about the banking industry. J.D. Power does an amazing banking survey. And they tell you which are the best banks, which are the best lenders, which are the best um, prime uh, mortgage, et cetera. And so banks require that you insure a loan if you don't put at least 20% down. So the banks are insured. Just like a new car requires you have full coverage in case you have an accident, that full value of that car payment can be paid in full. Insurance is the same on banking. The banking industry was allegedly bailed out. Well, how was it bailed out when they had insurances? So they forego, they forwent all those different guidelines that protected the banking industry and set it up for failure. And now as a result, mm-hmm. all these communities and areas are now open opportunities. Devalued because so much vacant land and vacant homes brought values of properties down. Like you say, some people went and bought those areas, completely loved them, and now they have access to waterways. They can rebuild and have houses that have 10 times the value. And Mm -hmm. it was all by design. So we have to remember uh, business individuals, and business is not not that we're trying to uh, put any negativity on people, but when you put business before people, then that's when there is a problem. I tell you to seize every opportunity. There's enough abandoned properties in Detroit as a result of that craziness that you can build some wealth in this city and many cities across the nation. Don't buy into the hype Detroit is the spot to be. Again, that's a marketing ploy because what they're marketing is the properties that they've renovated. They're looking for mm-hmm. occupants. They're looking for tenants. This is the hot spot. You want to be downtown. Of course, 
I just spent $10 million renovating this building. Of course, I need those rents. So the conversation is always based on the market results. And I tell someone it's not amazing. We're talking about what is happening in the construction market or, you know, the retail market. The key word is markets. There's markets. And then the verb that we use to influence the growth, we call it marketing. We, we give messages, awareness, communication to aid you taking a certain desired behavior to fill our market through these marketing tactics. So marketing and business, the construction industry or healthcare industry, whatever the industry is, there's a market. And there's going to be some marketing communication for you to feel a certain way about these products and services. And that's what's happening in um, in Detroit right now. And what you described, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, but I can assure you that all cities are planning 10, 20, 30 years down the road. No one's planning for this year only. So I would not um, say that that was uh, not a very high likelihood, that that was all just a ploy, waiting for enough abandonment, devaluing of a property, scoop it up low, and appreciate it. You know, push the value through the roof. That's how wealth is created. So, how, what's the entry to something like that um, for a person sitting with maybe some, a little bit of retirement or whatever the case may be? If you want to take advantage of something in an area like this, even if you had to partner with someone, what would be a reasonable entry to being able to do something that could move that needle? Well, you know, the answer to that is going to lie on a lot of different factors. What is that individual's current needs? Um, there's several layers of entry that you can take um, to enter the real estate market. However, again, it's, it's tied closely to what that person thinks. Okay. And... Um and I also you may hear a little background noise. Ahead. Are you there? Because I was putting out a book. I just got my shipment of books. We just built. <clears throat> excuse me. I just co-authored a book called "Conversations with the Team That Creates the Dream: The Top Female Professionals Who Can Help You Get Wealthy in Real Estate." Say and that so again. I wanted conversations with the team that creates the dream. The top female professionals who can help you get wealthy in real estate. And in this book that we just published in November of this year, um, and you can find it on Amazon, you can learn the various strategies. There are numerous strategies of entering the industry of real estate. And you have a compilation of uh, about 18 of us, I think it was, that wrote various aspects of the industry. I talk about the industry from the standpoint of being a contractor and rehabbing properties and working with a contractor. If you have properties that have to be developed, what are some of the things you should know? Um, and then there were some people who talked about real estate where you, you know, buy apartment complexes, where you're buying mobile parks. You know, there's just a whole range. So to say what would be an entry point, it's hard to say because it just depends on which, which sector you're going to enter and where you want to. We like to use the word where you want to play. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that seemed like a total setup. <laughs> I had no idea that you I had, had that no book, idea but you were I had to go there. <laughs> but I now I've got my twenty copies last week. 
Oh, congratulations. That is so wonderful. So send me a link, and I will put it on um, the description for this show because it is going to be archived. And for those of you that are listening, you can come back and listen to this again because this young lady has said so much that (laughs) I'm going to have to listen to it again to fully understand all that she has shared with us. And certainly I'm going to, to get that book because when I asked the question, what I was thinking of was I have young people that are at the point where they can begin to do some things like invest in in property and what have you. And it it would be a great thing to give them information about how they can plan that 30-year wealth accumulation and not have to learn it all from scratch you know, learn from those that have already done it. And for you to have a book like that, that's that's pretty awesome. And I certainly will take yeah. advantage of that. And that is, yes, thank you for that because, you know, we really, I target 25 to 35-year-olds. So that by the time they're 30 and 40, they're living their lives differently. Mm-hmm. By the time and they're I, 30 a- and 40, in five years of working with real estate, they can live their lives differently, and, um, and and to live life where employment is optional, it does two things for you. At first, it eliminates stress because you have your financial ability to take care of yourself. But secondly, you're valued much more in the market if someone needs to employ your time because they know you are giving up your time and talent that you don't have to give them to come in as a contract or a consultant. You valued your income that you can earn in the same role when employment is optional, it'd be a difference of twenty to thirty thousand dollars because you're giving right. them something that they know that they can't get. You don't have to be there. Hmm. Amazing. So, with that being said, is there anything else you'd like to share while I think about what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I want to just say it, it's a new year. It's 2019. We are in a very unique space, and the National Association of Black Women in Construction are at a great space. Um, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary of supporting for those of high school in Washington D.C. This coming May, we're waiting for a date. We'll be there where we're pouring into the next generation, and not just and we're bringing in some top firms to be there to pour into the next generation of youth so the construction industry continue to not just flourish and, and survive, but we make sure that African Americans are included in that narrative of one of the most lucrative industries that they're in. Um, in addition, as I said, targeting 25 to 35-year-olds, specifically, specifically women, so that they know that they can control their destiny. You know, I would say we were a test pilot. The last 50 years was work your 30 years and out and, and get retirement. We're, we're just on the second, you know, testing of that. You know, the first research project they went through went good. The second was like, oh, it's not enough money for everybody now. What happened? Now the third one's like, oh, no, there are no pensions. You know, it's a, no, it's a new game being played right now. So real estate uh-huh. and construction is one of the best industries that lock down ownership of land and assets and an ability to control your income, and that's so critical. And that's another reason why I poured my heart into the National Association of Black Women in Construction and was willing to accept this role as the president 
Um, I questioned it. I was like, I don't know, Ann. I've had a different background. I've worked in automotive and healthcare. And then I had to remind myself, many CEOs, they leave one firm and move into another. Those basic business practices are transferable. It's a transferable skill for growth in the industry. So it's been a lot of learning um, to learn more about this whole commercial space. But there's a lot of resources in our organization. Um, anyone who's looking to start their lives and really have a chance and a career in the industry that they can make an impact. Maybe you think about reimagining uh, yourself or redefining your, your career. Construction is a great space. I mean, it's been very beneficial to me, even personally in my business. Um, we've been able to, you know, grow. And in, in our first year of business, I've exceeded over uh, a quarter of a million dollars in business. And that's just somebody starting out of the door. So you can imagine somebody who's more seasoned, uh, they could probably do a better job. But I'm very excited about um, what this organization has offered me personally. Um, the founder, Ann McNeil, is just a great, great soul and a teacher. Um, the leaders of this organization uh, are committed to making sure this organization is known and a household brand. Um, and we're just going to build a lot of new relationships in this new year that's going to make more opportunities for Cities across the nation are looking to partner with the NAPWIC organization and get started with growing and being an advocate for African-American women, black women in this space, and for our girls to know that there is a space for them. And we're creating that. We're trailblazing, um, even in 2019. And I think it's also amazing that as they celebrate this month, um, the 400th anniversary of the first arrival, of our ancestors here, that in this year we get to elevate to new heights what's possible and that this culture that they risk years to go across that Atlantic to get people was not because we did not have skills and capabilities and brilliance. It's because of the expertise that we bring. And so as we've been reminded of who we are, I think we as black women leading this organization and shine in a way that we would not have had a platform or spotlight as we celebrate 400 years. Because we built this nation. We built these cities. And now as black women leading in this space, we're reminding our children that the heritage that you possess was a, a community of wisdom, brilliance, innovation, and shine brightly. We'll prepare a space for ourselves in this market instead of waiting for those to give us permission. I think that's all I have to say. <laughs> wow. Now, you remind me of something that that speaks to we built this city. Okay. I was in Savannah, Georgia, and at a family reunion, and my first cousin asked me to take a picture of him. And he was balancing himself on a railroad tie, not tie, but the, the metal part of the railroad track. And I said, why? Because it looked a little silly to me. And he said, because my granddaddy built this railroad. And in an instant, I understood the significance of that. He had no idea what physical part his grandfather played or where he physically touched. But because he was a part of the team that did it, he claimed it. And and because of that, in my book, African Americans of Tampa, my favorite page 
is the page of them building the drainage system for Davis Allen, and it's three stories down in the ground, and it's completely covered with African-American men. And the reason that the, the photograph was taken is because it was a construction photograph. They were not interested in documenting African-American history, but that's exactly what they did. They proved without a doubt that we built this city. And that is in, that's the, the first page of a chapter of Building Tampa in African Americans of Tampa and just for what you said. And as a part of this show, we were talking about new year, new plan. I don't think there could be a better way to start the planning process than to listen to what you've said today. There have been so many inspirational moments throughout this show it's a classic as far as I'm concerned. So thank you so very much for myself and for the organization and the audience. Thank you. Thank and with that, my listening audience, come back next week. Wednesdays, 8.30 a.m., we will have another great guest. Now, they will have a huge bar to live up to. Because <laughs> this is a great <laughs> job. Thank you. But again, Thanks for having me. Thank you for having you're me. You're welcome. And until next week, take care. This concludes our show. Thank you for listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction. For more information about NABWIC and our membership, please visit us on the web at www.nabwic.org. We are the voice of black women in construction. Have a great and prosperous day.